Bernard of Clairvaux or Peter Pan? Who will form the youth? This conference was given by Father Shannon Collins. At a St. Vincent Ferrer conference in Northern Kentucky on November 16, 2019. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. I'd like to begin this unusually titled talk, St. Bernard of Clairvaux or Peter Pan, who will form the youth with a particular preaching sermon by St. Bernard of Clairvaux in support of taking up the cross and going off on crusade. So in the presence of our dearest Lord and Holy Eucharist, let us listen to these words of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He writes, if it were announced to you that the enemy had invaded your cities, your castles, your lands, had ravished your wives and your daughters and profaned your temples, which among you would not fly to arms? Well, then, all these calamities and calamities still greater have fallen upon your brethren, upon the family of Jesus Christ, which is yours. Why do you hesitate to repair so many evils, to revenge so many outrages? Will you allow the infidels to contemplate in peace the ravages they have committed on Christian people? Remember that their triumph will be a subject for grief to all ages, an eternal opprobrium upon the generation that has endured it. Yes, the living God has charged me to announce to you that he will punish them who shall not have defended him against his enemies. St. Bernard continues, fly then to arms, let a holy rage animate you in the fight, and let the Christian world resound with those words of the prophet, quote, cursed be he who does not stain his sword with blood, unquote. If the Lord calls you to the defense of his heritage, think not that his hand has lost its power. Could he not send 12 legions of angels or breathe one word and all his enemies would crumble away into dust? But God has considered the sons of men to open for them the road to his mercy. His goodness has caused to dawn for you a day of safety by calling on you to avenge his glory and his name. Then St. Bernard ends by saying, Christian warriors, he who gave his life for you today demands yours in return. These are combats worthy of you, combats in which it is glorious to conquer and advantageous to die. Illustrious knights, generous defenders of the cross, remember the example of your fathers who conquered Jerusalem and whose names are inscribed in heaven. Abandon then the things that perish to gather unfading palms and conquer a kingdom which has no end. Again, a wonderful sermon preached by St. Bernard Clairvaux to promote the Second Crusade. Now compare this call to arms, this call to responsibility, this call to duty, this call to the highest chivalry imaginable, with a little song about being an eternal boy, eternally irresponsible, 
eternally infantile, as taught by Peter Pan to the lost boys of Neverland. I'll spare you the singing, just give you the lyrics. I'll never grow up, it begins, never grow up, never grow up, not me, not I, not me, so there, never going to be a man, I won't like to see somebody try and make me. Anyone who wants to try and make me turn to a man, catch me if you can. I won't grow up. Not a penny will I pinch. I will never grow a mustache or a fraction of an inch. Because growing up is awfuler than all the awful things that ever were. I'll never grow up, never grow up, never grow up. Not no sir, not I, not me. So there. Unquote. A few years ago, a book was published called The Church Impotent, an unflattering title to say the least. The Church Impotent, it was written by a man named Leon Poodles. And the main question from the author, asked by the author in The Church Impotent, is just why men in the Christian West are so little interested in religion. In addition, the author asks, why is it that some men who are interested in Christianity in the West do not always radiate masculinity? A priest interviewed by the author states that only 25% of the participants in Catholic gatherings in the West are men. Women dominate the attendance numbers at daily masses in most parishes devotional exercises, church staff, and volunteer groups. Christianity, at least in the West, is seen by many as something that is proper for women rather than for men. In the Eastern churches and traditional Latin parishes, there seems to be more of a balance between men and women. And as in Islam and Orthodox Judaism, the men are the main worshipers. But Western Christianity seems to turn off some men and it sometimes attracts some men whose masculinity is somewhat doubtful. By this, the author, Leon Poodles, does not mean necessarily homosexuality, but rather men who see religion and a life of religion as a safe place. An escape from the cross and a refuge from the challenges of life. As if religion were like a therapy pet dog. In a past study involving a masculinity and femininity test, Catholic seminarians in the West scored at a point far less masculine than any other male group of their age. Right next to them were Protestant male seminarians. And because Protestant seminarians were similar to Catholic ones in this regard, the issue of the lack of masculinity cannot be blamed on the apostolic custom of clerical celibacy. Rather, there seems to be an overall lack of manliness in the presentation of Christianity in the West. Considering that St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the great abbot, helped found nearly 70 monasteries filled with hundreds of men longing for a challenge for perfection. This problem of masculinity seems to be especially a modern one. Perhaps Catholic spirituality in the West needs to return to a focus on being a soldier for Christ in the church militant, as 
was St. Ignatius of Loyola, or being a knight in the royal court of Christ and embracing a higher form of chivalry, as did St. Bernard. Remember that the church is not of this world, but she does live in this world. And in the Western world, many men are not being formed to be manly. Manhood, in fact, is belittled. A man who has no problem with identifying with his masculinity is often seen as threatening, aggressive, toxic, maybe too rigid, or too strong in his tone. In short, we live in a time where many men are either metrosexual wimps or brutish beasts. St. Thomas Aquinas, the common doctor of the church, includes effeminacy under the vices opposed to perseverance. Effeminacy is from the Latin word malitiae, which generally means softness, kind of like being like butter, softness. In various contexts, however, malitiae can also mean being irresolute, being overly tender, being lewd in one's behavior, as well as pampered, babied, being dominated by the senses and longing for luxuries, comfort, being weak and very easily influenced. It essentially occurs when the traits traditionally associated with the feminine are found in the man. And St. Thomas is saying this, he means by persevering is when a man does not forsake a good on account of difficulties or toils. A man who is masculine doesn't give up. He is resolute. But an effeminate man is one who withdraws from the good on account of the sorrows caused by lack of pleasure and ease. It's just too hard. Effeminacy, states St. Thomas, is often present in a man who is used to pleasures, and he hates to live without them. Also, effeminacy can be a natural disposition in some, where some men have a certain disposition to delicacy, a frailty and weakness in their character that they must reform and correct. The great missionary apostle St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians saying the following, quote, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, unquote. Note that St. Paul makes a distinction between effeminacy and sodomitical impurity. Certainly those who fall prey to this sodomitical vice are often womanish. But effeminacy is more about softness and lacking in perseverance than unchastity and impurity. Now one might object to a vice being compared to one of the sexes as being womanish. Let me assure you that women are of course called to this virtue of perseverance. If we do not persevere to the end, we shall be damned. We must persevere. The point is that women are naturally both physically and in temperament generally softer than men. And this is good for a woman. When a man acts soft, 
given that men are naturally more hard physically and in temperament, then it's a particularly bad thing for a man. In other words, men should act manly, and that is not toxic, that is proper. St. Thomas, following the perennial teachings of philosophy, says that effeminacy is especially opposed to the virtue of fortitude. The effeminate man is one who is incapable of manning up and enduring the challenges that life presents. St. Thomas notes how this is opposed to the virtue of fortitude or perseverance. The angelic doctor writes the following quote, Wherefore, according to the philosopher, that's Aristotle, properly speaking, an effeminate man is one who withdraws from good on account of sorrow caused by a lack of pleasure, yielding as it were to a weak motion, unquote. So it's not merely yielding to challenges, but more specifically refusing the challenge of pursuing the good because one is attracted to pleasure and immediate gratification. Again, the common doctor, St. Thomas, continues, quote, Now the delicate are those who cannot endure toils, nor anything that diminishes pleasure. He continues, thus the effeminate man is the delicate man, the womanly man. And this sort of behavior, insofar it is, as it is voluntary, willed, constitutes a vice, unquote. Again, the effeminate man is the man who does not have a strong and deep sense of his masculinity. Rather, the man up and accept the challenge of understanding and growing in his identity as a man. He prefers to shrink back and adopt the attitudes and mannerisms of a tender, delicate female. And this effeminate attitude, especially amongst men, is promoted, very much promoted, in society which sees masculinity as toxic by those who would wish to eliminate the natural aggressive tendencies in men, which should be moderated but promoted. Men are meant to be more aggressive. They're going to head families. They're going to have to support a family. They should be promoted in that way. And many of us are familiar with that basic story of Peter Pan and Neverland. Peter Pan is that fictional character created by Scottish novelist and playwright J.M. Barrie. A free-spirited person is Peter Pan, and a mischievous young boy he is who can fly and, of course, never grows up. Peter Pan spends his never-ending childhood having adventures on this mythical island known as Neverland as a leader of the Lost Boys. Boys that are lost, interacting with fairies, pirates, mermaids, Indians, and occasionally with ordinary people outside the world of Neverland, such as the members of the Darling family. In an early scene of the story, Peter Pan enters one of the rooms in the Darling house, and Peter wakes up Wendy Darling in the process. Peter Pan agrees to take Wendy and the children along with him to Neverland. And Peter teaches all of them to fly, and they are off. And once in Neverland, Wendy gets to experience every girl's wildest dream, namely finding a magical boy who can literally fly. 
only to realize that he doesn't want a girl, he wants a mother. And in the book, what this really means is made very clear. In the book, Wendy gets stuck doing lots and lots of laundry. Peter's looking for a mom, not a spouse. From this famous story, a psychological diagnosis has arisen. The term Peter Pan syndrome was coined by a particular psychologist to describe the pattern of social immaturity that has been plaguing the Western male population since the baby boomer generation. Peter Pan syndrome is a term referring to someone, usually a man, who does not want to enter into adult life. Although it can affect both sexes, it appears more often amongst men. And one afflicted with this Peter Pan syndrome had the body of an adult, but the mind of a child. That means he does not want to work, take any responsibilities, and wants everyone around him to support his lifestyle. He doesn't want to stop being a child and start being a father. Just as Peter Pan is flying around from land to land, he who exhibits the syndrome is flying around from non-commitment to non-commitment, looking for a mother, but not a spouse. In other words, he is too mature for his age. A new term used by society is manolescent. A manolescent has become a term that is described an individual who remains emotionally forever immature. An infantileism is present that refuses to be weaned from dependency. In past conferences that I've given, I've mentioned the error of juvenilism. It's all over the place. It is a position that states out with the old and in with the new mentality. Being juvenile is good. The author and theologian Romano Amerio, in his great traditional work known as Iota Unum, describes many shepherds, popes, bishops, priests, religious, and laity as being filled with this idolatry of youth and the error of juvenilism. In a weird way, what is juvenile now represents true wisdom. The cult of youth is now predominant among church members with World Youth Days, Youth 2000s, and Life Teen events. Our good shepherds and other clerics and religious become the impressionable ones and will even go so far as to rap, rock out, break dance, and beatbox in an attempt to relate to the youth because they will lead us. An ecclesiastical midlife crisis occurs as a Woodstock-like event is represented. Therefore, the seriousness of the gospel and the importance of salvation is replaced by a playful, childlike sentimentality that has little concern for the need for penance, discipline, and preparing for the judgment that will come. As Romano Amerio observed in his book, Iota Unum, good book to have in one's library, he says, quote, adults have abandoned the exercise of their authority through a desire to please, since they cannot believe that they will be loved unless they flatter 
and please their children, unquote. Well, this era of juvenilism that is celebrating youth leads to the desire never to grow up because youth are the authority. That error hurts formation of the youth today and it leads to infantilism. The youth in more than a few cases are babied and act in an infantile way. I mean, you hear it all the time in the news. You see like some 25 year old man who gets caught doing something bad and of course the defendants of the kids say, well, he's only a kid at 25 years old. He's still a kid. There have been innumerable articles penned in the last few years lamenting this epidemic of emasculation within Western culture. And couple this with young men now fully engrossed in immediate gratification with the advance of technological accessibility and disaster looms in the area of intemperance. Another vice is that of impurity, where infantilism often brings about unfettered hedonistic indulgence and promiscuous behavior, most especially in the most narcissistic lifestyle of all, the sodomitical lifestyle. The answer to the problem of infantilism, however, has been lacking. Indeed, many have written sorrowful laments about the situation. Beards are grown in protest of this culture of infantilism. Look how mature I am. But bacon being consumed in large quantities is not an answer to this emasculization. Nor are primal screams, banging drums in the wood, or entering into our own inner caveman with a paleo diet is not the answer. Call it Peter Pan syndrome or infantilism. There is a lack of proper formation of the youth. And it even seems as if those in authority desire to maintain this eternal childhood in the youth. And this infantile spirit can be found even within the membership of the church. There is a saying as the church goes, so goes the world. One need only look at the current state of the church to see both the societal division and the moral breakdown reflected in the Western culture. In fact, one can look to most of what has been propagated as modernization in the church as an actual time stoppage where the membership of the church cannot grow beyond the 1960s and 1970s. We still haven't grown or moved beyond. Like many parents of families, the hierarchical members of the church, the shepherds, indulgence themselves and their sheep. Church disciplines lessened or were eliminated. Ascetical exercises were looked not upon with attraction. Penitential practices were even lessened and eliminated. The cross was to be avoided, not embraced. And acting like parents who grew up in the Great Depression, they didn't want their children to face hard things, but rather enjoy every material advantage and the good life. The problem of infantilism or Peter Pan syndrome or social immaturity especially amongst men, has a pattern. 
it started with the disdaining of virtue and self-mastery, along with the embracing of intemperance, and that was usually in regards to the Sixth and Ninth Commandments. And this led towards effeminacy or an unwillingness to put aside one's pleasure in order to pursue what is arduous and difficult. And predictably, this effeminacy led to the usurping of the role of the masculine in society. In fact, this is so bad now that good men are left to combat effeminacy as women engage in usurping their roles. Often not because they want to, because they are expected to by Western society to be fully independent, fully immersed and engaged in technology. Most youth do not remember a time when they didn't have immediate access, whether in the education or their formation. They are marked with this almost innate need for immediate gratification, and they have a serious lack of endurance. This lack of endurance has moved some towards a certain narcissism. Some youth today cannot comprehend the reason why they are not rewarded and promoted for the work they do and are noted to change careers often for this reason. I'm not appreciated. You must affirm me. Self-esteem. They are intellectually and spiritually restless. The good priest and exorcist, Father Chad Ripperger, I think many of you probably know, gives the name of depravity to the spirit of the modern age. Depraved. Amorality, immediate gratification, and hopelessness abound. Pornography, bullying, trolling, violence, drug addiction, and suicide are the hallmark of a depraved society, and we have it all. Aware of society's attempts to emasculate, a number of young men have attempted to embrace a more disciplined life. They want a challenge because men are naturally aggressive. They want to face difficulties, even toil, and prove that they can endure hardships, that they can persevere. But where do men seek this challenge? It's not in the monasteries today. It's not in modern-day seminaries, by and large but rather in the military. It's a sad commentary in the state of Holy Church and her membership when young Catholic men would rather enter into the armed services despite the forces of social engineering, putting females on the front lines and embracing the evolution of don't ask, don't tell into a full-blown acceptance of sodomitical behavior and soon transgenderism. Granted that the religious life and the holy priesthood are supernatural callings, presenting these vocations as an opportunity for the greatest challenges of all, namely serving Christ the King, serving his mother, Our Lady the Queen, consecrating this fallen world to him, seeking perfection in a life of virtue and self-denial, saving souls from hell. That's the real battle and bringing them into the Roman Catholic Church outside of which no one is saved, and taking on Satan and his worldly offspring should certainly attract men who are looking for a bit more in life. But there is hope. 
Hope, especially in the example of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Those in the current generation will have to control or even stave their appetites. Focus on simplicity, self-control, and humility. They will have to endure great efforts at overcoming bad habits, instilled in formation. If they are to succeed in breaking this cycle of effeminacy and infantilism. With so many challenges facing the current generation, the outlook may seem dim. Indeed, with the increase of uncivilized behavior, the lower faculties of the emotions and passions continue to run wild over reason and morality. And it results in social upheaval, unrest and general chaos being witnessed in most Western nations today. Yet there are sign and many signs of a change within the younger generations. Most have engaged in what society has to offer, but many are now recognizing the emptiness and disquiet these life choices have wrought. Interest has arisen in living a more agrarian lifestyle and embracing simplicity. Many are making efforts to limit or even disconnect from technology and artificiality and to reconnect with the natural and with the human. There has been an increase of interest among current generations in being an artisan, tradecraft, and with that certain growth in entrepreneurship to be able to work and do something, produce something. In addition, although the majority of youth still only identify themselves as being spiritual and not religious, there's been an increase of young men and women returning to traditional religious roots, most preferring traditional liturgical practices. And in this minority, a return to marriage and embracing larger families is occurring. This maturation in society provides a glimmer of hope that we need for the restoration of the West. <coughs> when I was a seminarian, Back in the mid-1990s, I was given a spiritual book to read while I was on a home visit with my parents. It was called, and it's a must-read, The Family That Overtook Christ. It was written by Father Raymond, a very famous Trappist monk from Gethsemane Monastery in Bardstown, Kentucky. The Family That Overtook Christ recounts the story of St. Bernard de Clairvaux and his immediate family. Blessed Alice, the mother of St. Bernard, and Venerable Tesselin, his father, brought forth seven children into this world, six of whom have been beatified, and one a canonized saint and doctor of the church. All the children, even the married one, blessed guy, entered religious life. The boys all went on to the Cistercian Monastery of Sateau, while the one girl, Humbeline, entered a Benedictine monastery. Blessed Guy's wife became a nun, as well as his daughter, and they too have become beatified by Holy Mother Church. Quite an accomplished family, to say the least. Every one of them is in heaven. A man of the 12th century, St. Bernard, was not just interested in following Christ from behind. Rather, he wished to overtake Christ, to catch up with the Lord and walk by his side. Hence, we have the title to the book, The Family That Overtook Christ. 
his seal for Christ and his desire to serve a higher master than any earthly king, his longing to embrace a higher chivalry and a better knighthood was contagious. Everybody wanted to fight for Christ. As one author noted, Bernard's eloquent appeals to men to join him in this adventure that his religious and monastic life caused, quote, mothers to fear for their sons, wives to fear for their husbands, lest they come under the compelling voice and look of Bernard. Having recruited all his brothers, save the youngest one, the 22-year-old Bernard headed off to the monastic life <coughs> with 30 other men. Blessed Navarre, the youngest brother left behind, was told that he will be the sole inheritor of all the wealth of the family. But his reaction was one of sadness and disappointment. What, he said, you then take heaven and leave me only the earth? The division is too unequal. Soon, Navarre, the youngest son, and even the patriarch of the family, the father, Venerable Tesselin, would take the Cistercian habit. After only three years of training in the life of perfection, the abbot of Citeaux ordered that Bernard lead 12 other monks and found another abbey, which would eventually be called Clairvaux. They lived a life of tremendous penance. They had the virtues of humility, obedience, and perfect chastity and charity. Bernard led the way, of course, being the consummate contemplative, a rigorous ascetic, a monastic reformer, a lover of the liturgical life and of silence, and a tiller of the earth. They took that land, they made it produce. <coughs> Manicures, pedicures, hairstylists, man purses, and exfoliating soaps were not part of this environment. Clairvaux was the threshold of heaven. It was a fort in the church militant for men willing to sacrifice all for Christ the King and Mary his Queen. But the hidden life of the monastery would not last for long. Our dearest Lord, having formed a true Christian man in Bernard, called him to be the greatest historical figure of his age who, as Father Raymond puts, points out, carried the whole 12th century upon his shoulders. Bernard became the oracle of all Christendom, the corrector and admonisher of earthly kings and sovereigns, a counselor to popes, a healer of division, a hammer of heretics, a preacher of the Second Crusade, a public debater confronting arrogant Catholics, a worker of miracles, and the single greatest troubadour of Our Lady, and an official teacher of the Holy Faith, whose words were so sweet and so much like the Church Fathers that Bernard was named the Honey Sweet Doctor. To conclude, at the age of 63 years old, the good Lord brought Bernard to heaven on August 20th in the year 1153 AD. Having spent himself in service to the King of Kings, having practiced a higher chivalry and a better knighthood, 
burned it, received that eternal glory which the world cannot give. May the vision he offered of Christian manhood, of perseverance and embracing challenges, of facing resistance and overcoming many obstacles in the church militant bring about proper reforms within the membership of Holy Church. And may his example of the monastic, religious and priestly life be an inspiration for Catholic men today who long to reject a modern world that seeks to emasculate them. And may his willingness to embrace challenges, to embrace a higher chivalry and purpose, and to take great responsibility, provide an answer to that infantilism so present in the modern world. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. Immaculate Heart of Mary, Ora Pro Nobis.